how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're vital. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome back to Creative Principles. I am your host, Brock Swinson. Now, normally this is where I interview amazing writers, screenwriters, authors, creatives, musicians, all types. But over the next 15 or 16 episodes, we're doing something very special and actually giving away my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, the full audiobook over these next several episodes. If it's your first time here, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We will be back to interviews very soon. But this is part of my mission this year to give away 100,000 copies of my book. So if you haven't already grabbed your copy, go over to brockswinson.com. You'll see a link to the PDF. That's a digital download and audiobook, which you're about to listen to here. You'll also see at brockswinson.com access to things like the free 30-day prolific writing challenge and also some other challenges built around writing, such as the Upwork Unfair Advantage, which will teach you how to be a six-figure freelancer. You can also find courses such as how to write a nonfiction book in 12 weeks and some upcoming screenwriting and TV writing courses as well, along with my brand new one-on-one mentorship, Storyteller Launchpad. All that's over at brockswinson.com, but now let's jump into Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. In this book, which I wrote around episode 250 of the podcast, across these episodes, you'll learn things like how to annihilate a writer's block by embracing the playful trickster mentality or how to weaponize your anxiety with the different is better approach, how to defend your time with the calendar anorexia mindset, what it means to create ruthless prioritization and use the urgent versus important system, and probably most importantly, how to avoid self-sabotage. It's all on the pages of Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers. And make sure to join my email list to learn about my upcoming book, The Self-Reliant Artist. All that's over at brockswinson.com. Chapter 12, The Cheapest Phase. Fighting clutter is like fighting weeds. The writer is always slightly behind. William Zinser. If the goal of the first draft is to quickly take action, then the goal of the second draft is to rewrite with bold intent. You can't be afraid to kill your darlings. Remember that, painful though it may be, at times it is the most prudent thing to do. I'm not afraid to throw away things, admits screenwriter Jessica Scharzer. The writing phase is the cheapest phase. If you throw away a screenplay, aside from time, you haven't cost the production anything. Scharzer continues. It costs a pad of paper to change your mind. It's the easiest and cheapest phase to make changes. In the editing room, you're limited to the footage you have. You have to identify the problem and fix it in the most surgical way. Printing out a new 90-page script costs a few bucks, whereas making a movie might cost a few million dollars. Printing a book manuscript costs a few bucks, while marketing efforts can cost thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. This is all to say that the real money, income and expenses, comes after the work is finished. But in order to finish the work, you need to master the art of rewriting. 
You need to master the process behind the cheapest phase. Understand that there is no limit to the work you can put into the craft of writing, but also know when to establish or seek deadlines, when to give it another go, when to take a moment to rest, when to trash dozens of pages, and when the work is simply not good enough. There is a process of ideas. There is a process of writing. There is a process of rewriting. That's it. That's really all you need to know. The rest is just ornamental. If you can't rewrite, give it up, admonishes Marie Carr. You need to be able to rethink and correct the easy interpretation. Carr is referring specifically to your first idea on the page. If the solution is easy, it might not be the best solution. I'm sure you've seen or read ideas you could top, and that the same fact will be true for your fans when they see or read your work. Sometimes you need to dig drastically deeper to figure out how to influence the most people. This doesn't mean you're trying to please everyone, though. It means you're trying to connect to someone specifically on a deep foundational level. Seth Godin would tell you, Explore what it means to make magic in the small so you can do it again. It's the small things that connect with the big audiences. In storytelling, you might need to list 20 solutions to every problem, rather than the first one that comes to mind. You've seen first draft's ideas in final form. They're dull and predictable. They're repetitive and not worth your time. There's a reason that if you see Paul Thomas Anderson films, you don't also see Hallmark movies of the week. There's a reason that if you read Margaret Atwood, you don't also read Dime Store Dribble. There's a reason that if you listen to Jack White, you don't also listen to Top 40. Deep ideas stick with you. They're interconnected with that which moves you. They're emotional, but also logical. They represent a light in the darkness. How do you find them? Consider this. What are the pain points that connect with people on a universal level? How does your work help people feel more alive or eliminate mental worry? What work speaks to you in such a way that you decide to pick up the pen and pad in the first place? Who do you wish to emulate and why? If you can answer these questions, ask why again. Then why again to the responses to get to the root of your true feelings. True, the writing phase is the cheapest phase, but it's also the most valuable phase. It's the start of putting ideas down on paper, which can later be sculpted into something marvelous for those willing to participate in your craft. You just need to know through which lens you are looking as you move through the cheap yet priceless phases of the work. Correct spelling, correct punctuation, correct grammar, hundreds of itsy-bitsy rules for itsy-bitsy people, writes Robert Persick. No one could remember all that stuff and concentrate on what he was really trying to write about. Early in life, the focus is ignorant simplicity. Later in life, the focus is functional complexity. Eventually, if you're lucky, you can reach profound simplicity. This is what it means to be a writer instead of merely a, quote, hack. This is as true for writing as it is for life, or any craft worth pursuing to the point of mastery. It's all about the evolution of the process. Mark Twain says, The most interesting information comes from children, for they tell all they know and then stop. This is step one, get the details down. Step two is the journey to mastery. Mastery is the final step of the writing process after you put in your reps. In other words, Wherever you are now, if you write with the mind of a child, but then edit like a scholar, there's room for unlimited improvement. People aren't hard enough on their first draft, states actor, writer, director Robert Townsend. They need to think through everything, all the details. Is the dialogue special? Is it original? 
Think about character description, wardrobe design, how the scene is set up, everything. It's great when a director takes it to the next level, but it starts with the word. In short, he clarifies, quality will always win. But the good news is that the work is never truly complete. This might sound daunting, but it's actually quite the opposite. Because you have multiple drafts, you have multiple chances for massive improvement. But even your final draft could be written as you grow as a person. I think appreciating just how long the process is frees you up from worrying about having to get everything exact and perfect on the first draft. It's going to change. Let it change, says screenwriter Will Golding. He adds, knowing where you are in the process can inform the writing in a way that isn't cynical or limiting. It's encouraging. In the beginning, you're writing for yourself. Then you're attaching a director or star. Then you're writing for budget. That doesn't make things worse. It makes things more specific. This is Golding's process, but it's telling of how to create your own process. Each level should help narrow your singular focus. Each level of the writing and rewriting should redefine the work in more minor details to allow the cream to rise to the top. Johnny Carson famously chose about 12 of 300 jokes from the writing team each night for his show, which meant 96% of the jokes were garbage. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is in the Guinness Book of World Records for most consecutive takes, 127, in a single scene with Shelley Duvall. Truman Capote said he believed in scissors more than a pencil. The idea that there is such a long process is freeing for the writer because the draft is not the final draft, adds Golding. In fact, it's nowhere near the final draft. In a way, you could say that road is long and daunting, or you can say that road is so long it's freeing. There are a lot of opportunities to make it better. But to face these opportunities, you have to get the first draft finished to get to the next draft, and the only way to get better is to write often. Everything you want to be happens in the field, but at the same time, if you want to be a great writer, then just be a great writer. The talent comes from the work, not the other way around. If you want to be a great writer, regularly churn out bad pages. Eventually, your subconscious will guide you in the right direction so you can churn out better pages. If your abilities do not give you permission to create great work in the beginning, they certainly give you permission to create mediocre work. Take it. You don't need a certificate, you don't need a degree. If you need permission, give yourself permission. A career happens when you put in the work, not when someone else gives you permission. How to be a good interviewer, a good writer, a good cinematographer, all those things happen in the field, says Ken Burns. It's about jumping in the deep end. If we're too cautious, we miss the key ingredient. There's a human act of faith that takes place and has to bridge the gap between the objective truth and the kinds of facts that amount to a larger truth about how we approach our art. For Burns, the truth is everywhere. He just has to consistently look for it. The same is true for each aspect of the story, including the ending. Sometimes the climax is not the big crashing event you think it is, he says. Sometimes it's a subtler thing. It's a pot bowling. All the things you're doing is setting the water in the pot, and when it boils, you've got a release. Whether you're bowling over and preparing a release or in a different phase altogether, there are natural ebbs and flows to the work because the writing process is a multifaceted process. Sometimes the white space is more important than the words, or as Conan O'Brien might say, my favorite laughs are saying nothing. The words, the white space, the letters, the frozen moments, it's all writing. In the beginning when you have zero pages, you have to cheer for yourself into cranking stuff out. 
even if it later lands on the cutting room floor, writes Marie Carr. Each page takes you somewhere you need to travel before you can land in the next spot. Carr also says, I am not much of a writer, but I am a stubborn bulldog of a reviser. In the end, people like Burns and Carr are mainly focused on truth. This is because truth is everything within their selective fields. Forget how inventing stuff breaks a contract with the reader. It fences the memoirist off from the deeper truths that only surface in draft 5 or 10 or 20, writes Carr. This is the same reason employers want employees with years and years of experience. Sure, you learn 80% of any career in the first six months, but that last incremental 20% requires decades to fully master. Unfortunately, no one can specifically help you master that last 20%. Instead, it's something you must achieve on your own through many rough drafts and many, many rewrites. In the beginning, you need help. In the end, you need to help yourself. Editors and counselors can do a good deal more for writers in the first draft stage than at the end of the publishing process, writes John McPhee. Writers come in two principal categories, those who are overtly insecure and those who are covertly secure, and they can all use help. He adds, To lack confidence at the outset seems rational to me. It doesn't matter that something you've done before worked out well. Your last piece is never going to write your next one for you. McPhee concludes, If you have come to your planned ending and it doesn't seem to be working, run your eye up the page and the page before that. You may see that your best ending is somewhere in there, that you were finished before you thought you were. Wherever your ending lies, the cheapest phase means reduction. Greg McCone would tell you to, quote, delete by category. Russell Brunson would tell you to toss out the entire first draft. Chuck Palahniuk would tell you to cut your short story in half. To enter this state of mind, you need to examine each sentence on the page. Is every word doing progressive work? Can anything be expressed in a more economical manner? Are you hanging on to something purposeless because you feel it's beautiful or wildly personal? Or have you not yet done the deep work to make it all it can be? I love so many different things, writer-director Sam Boyd told me. Whether that's Coen Brothers movies or Tony Scott or Sofia Coppola or any number of diametrically opposed filmmakers, but I think I have happened into the romantic comedy thing because it's about characters and people. Underneath the surface, Boyd is inspired by humanistic filmmakers such as Alexander Payne, Richard Linklater, Cameron Crowe, and David O. Russell, where genre definitions can be somewhat limited. This led to his series, Love Life. Over time, I think I'm going to still be interested in stories of character work and authenticity without it being necessarily a romance, Boyd shared. He's already doing a version of this with a few episodes of Love Life, discussing love between family and friends. I want to change the definition of relationships in terms of what we're looking at in the show. All of that is to say, I've worked in a romantic love, but I want to explore as many facets of the human experience as possible, not just romantic love. Boyd sees much of his work as character-driven stories where the outline is less important and it's more intuitive in nature. The outline would be kind of boring anyway, he joked. I wanted to find it as I went, which worked for the pilot. Beyond the pilot, however, the outline became necessary for their full anthology. I learned so much from Bridget Bedard of Madman and Transparent about how to arc a season, break a story, and make television, because that wasn't something I'd ever done before. 
All of a sudden, I went from being a person who didn't write outlines to the kind of person who is working with a full writer's room and wanting it to be as open and collaborative as possible, but also writing outlines that need to get approved by networks and the levels and layers of that. The screenwriter described the changes to his process as various degrees that made it better. You're really just working everything out, so when you write the script, you're already sort of written it in outline form. You do the work first, so it's just a matter of typing it out when you write the script. I think with Love Life, I wrote the pilot on spec, and I was proud of it. But as proud as I was of it, the show only got richer and deeper and better from there as I started to collaborate. For a long time, Boyd felt like he put everything he had into the pilot, but that was clearly just the beginning. It got me there and got me this opportunity, but that was just the starting point in a way I didn't realize until we made all 10 episodes, looked at what was working, and wrote based on actors and things you don't see until you're shooting. He said, In the same way I was talking and taking pressure off myself with shorts, where I made a ton of bad shorts that didn't cost any money, when I was ready to put money into it, I had less pressure. The same is true for writing. For a long time, before this script, I was always writing something. I wrote things that never went anywhere. But something clicked with Love Life. When you enter the depth of your work, you will inevitably change as a writer. You are essentially not apt to change by taking such a journey as writing a book. But it's equally impossible to change by not tackling a seemingly impossible challenge. William Zinser writes, Writing is like a good watch. It should run smoothly and have no extra parts. Rewriting is the essence of writing itself. Rewriting is the essence of writing well. It's where the game is won or lost. That idea is hard to accept. We all have an emotional equity in our first draft. We can't believe that it wasn't born perfect, but the odds are close to 100% that it wasn't. Eliminate every such fact that is a known attribute. Don't tell us that the sea had waves and the sand was white. Notice the decisions that other writers make in their choice of words and be finicky about the ones you select from the vast supply. The race in writing is not to the swift, but to the original. You'll be tempted to use all the words that are in your notes because you perform the laborious chore of getting them all down, he adds about memoir. But that's a self-indulgence, no excuse for putting the reader to the same effort. Your job is to distill the essence. Zinzer would also tell you to, quote, enjoy the tidying process. Even though no one enjoys writing as much as they enjoy the feeling of having written, However, it's within these refinements, the actual work itself, where the work gets closer to something called finished, if not something called excellent. He says, when I finally get there, I know it was the rewriting, not the writing, that won the game. So when phrases come easily to you, be wary. They're likely from phrases you've heard thousands of times, even if you can't put your finger on their origin. It takes a special effort to locate, eliminate, and refine these phrases. This is why they're so familiar in the first place. In other words, the solution is elimination. Unfortunately, this solution is usually the last one that occurs to writers in a jam, says Zinser. You'll never make your mark as a writer unless you develop a respect for words and a curiosity about their shades of meaning that is almost obsessive. The secret of good writing is to strip every sentence to its cleanest components. In the end, writing is cheap and clutter is an expensive obstacle. Clutter is something used by corporations to hide mistakes, not something artists use to express their vision. The reduction of clutter is everything, and fighting clutter is a never-ending process, like bailing water from a sinking ship. Each day, more and more water finds its way into the American language. 
It's our job to fight this clutter rather than to lean into the derailment of the language economy. Every society naturally moves towards unnecessary words, circular constructions, pompous insights, and meaningless jargon. Art is what you leave out, says Kevin Kelly. To make something good, just do it. To make something great, just redo it, redo it, redo it. The secret to making fine things is in the remaking them. To make something great will mean working through various levels of discomfort. Everything you aim for as a creative should be just out of reach, yet also exists within your personal compass as a writer. It's the rules you create for yourself that produce the greatest, most creative results. What you want is always out of reach, writes Rich Cohen in his book on the Chicago Cubs. Sometimes it's miles out of reach. Sometimes you can almost touch it. If you do touch it, you will realize after a week or two that it's not really what you want, that what you want is still out of reach. What you want should be out of reach. It means you're getting better. Reach for it, grab it, then reach for the next impossible thing. The writer you wish to become is waiting for you. All you must do is plunge into the depths so often that when you arrive back on the surface, you no longer recognize your own reflection looking back at you from the conquered abyss. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.